Pet Chat on 2 and you are FM 103.7. And today we've got a little chat with Hugh Gents. And what are we talking with Hugh about, Cheryl? We're going to be talking about educating um, preschool children, actually, and children about living carefully and safely with pets. Oh, very good. We've got Hugh on the line right now. Hi, Hugh. How are you? Good, thanks. And you? Very well. Look, let me That's just introduce great. you as, as what you do. I mean, you have an OAM. Um, you're the president of the Australian National Kennel Council. You're a member of Dogs New South Wales. You've been a Labrador breeder and enthusiast for many years. But what we're going to be talking with you about is being a pet educator for the Living Safely with Dogs preschool program. What's it all about, Hugh? Okay, it's a, a program. Um, it delivers to preschools and childcare services throughout New South Wales. It is actually Australia-wide, but I'm an educator in the New South Wales program. Um, what it does, it targets children in their final year of preschool, and we aim to educate them how to live safely with dogs. The sort of things we teach them is uh, when dogs should be left alone, um, things they shouldn't do to their dogs, how they can tell if a dog is happy, scared or angry, um, the safe way to approach and greet a dog, and what to do if they approach by an unknown or angry, aggressive dog. They're the main points that we like to get across to the children. Obviously, those really important things there. How do you go about teaching this to young children? Okay, it's really done with... We have a um, a large um, book, illustrator book, that has all the different uh, pictures in of the subjects we're talking about. Let's talk about the really, really important one is when, if they meet an angry dog, what to do? And we, we teach them that they, they've got to stand still. And they also say, run the dog, chase them. We teach them to put their hands down by the side because if they wave their hands around, the angry dog might try and bite them. We tell them to be really quiet because if they scream and shout, then the dog's going to get more uh, angrier. And we teach them just to, to look at the ground, don't stare at the dog. And the theory is that it does work. That If they just stand there like a statue for long enough, the dog will lose interest and go away. And then, then we do um, play roles with them. We... Uh, we know we get the children to make angry dog faces and we have one um, child kneeling down who's an angry dog and then we pick some of the others and they walk towards the angry dog and we see if they've remembered what we taught them. And this is all done with pictures as well. So it's really getting them to take part so that, you know, it remains in mind. And then we sing a song about it because there's little songs um, that are, you know, associated with all these, these things we're teaching them. So we... We sing a song and then we leave the CD with the school when we go so that the children can practice it when we've gone. Right. And and does it just run through the preschool program or does it go into um, secondary or, or infant school? Yeah, the, the different programs have got different names. Um, the one, the preschool one, is Living Safely with Dogs. Um, we only go as far as year two. Um, and they, as they progress, you know, children will have seen this program in preschool. Then they go to year one and it's a bit more um, involved. In year two we really start to talk about being responsible pet right. owners and how to help mum and dad. Yeah, because this is the thing. I mean, often parents buy or grandparents sometimes buy dogs, uh, um, you know, and the children are with these dogs as family pets, and they often don't understand, you know, what to do around the pets. And um, it really is important that the not only that the children learn, but the adults learn and supervise these children as well to avoid dog or potential dog bites. And, yep. Uh, you're exactly right. Sorry, go on. Yep. Yeah, we have um, a huge um, pet ownership in Australia, and obviously, you know, quite regularly we're hearing of dog attacks and things. Do you think this program is helping to, um, you know, to cut those statistics down? We, we, we're sure they are. Um, 
I'll just go back to one thing you said, which is really important. The first thing we teach them is never be alone with a dog unless there's a grown-up there. Yes. And you, you reminded me what you just said. Um, yes, I think it's had a, an effect. I mean, the number of children we, um, just in New South Wales, we uh, uh, conduct about 1,000 visits a year to about 25,000 students. That's just in Metropolitan Sydney and continuing New South Wales. So I'm sure it does have an effect because... If you've if you've been to a preschool and done a talk, and then you go back to the school, sort of two years later, year two, as soon as you start explaining to them about um, what to do with an angry duck, they remember. Well, most of them remember. So I think it does it does help. Yeah, who teaches yep. these the program to the students? Um, okay, we're educators. We all go through a training scheme. With the actual um, program managers have really good um, facilitators who teaches all the. Um, all the way to present the program, and then we get assessed every year to make sure we're, you know, we're, we're sticking to the um, proper way of doing it. And then you can go to a level two and level three, and it's just, um, it's really well controlled. The rules, um, the rules of conduct, so to speak, are um, very strict in what we can do and um, what you do with your dog when you take them into, you know, into a school. So uh, we're, we're taught these rules, and we just get, um, you know, we get reviewed every year. And we also ask the um, teacher every time we do a program, um, there is an assessment form that they fill out seeing if they thought the content was suitable for the, for the age of children and were the children well behaved, how did they receive it. So we're getting assessed all the time to make sure the program is getting the message across and we're getting feedback. Yeah, we might have some in, um, listeners who are interested in doing that because if um, you know everybody takes a keen interest in making sure children are safe around pets, it's a wonderful thing. What about with cats as well? So, I mean, sometimes cats can create a bit of a problem with children. Do you do anything with um, well, training with cats? No, we don't. But you're absolutely right, but um, you're quite right. But No, we don't, but the cats do, do need a bit of training. Our, my cat's 13 years old and she's still a bit of a... no. Rebel does what she wants, but uh, no, we've never ventured with cats. Oh, OK. That might be one that um, we can think about planning ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a great um, a great way. Is there anything on, um, you know, sort of um, on the internet that people can look at? Is there any programming of this that the yeah, government yes, has put there is. They can, if, they, if you go onto the internet and you just look for, um, you just Google um, Living Safe with Dogs Preschool Program, it'll bring the whole thing up. Okay. And and I must say that if any any of your listeners are interested and they've got a dog um that they might like to go along, we're always looking for educators. They'll they'll go along and they'll be put through a series of um little tests to make sure the dog will, you know, behave itself in the school environment, things like um, you know, crowds milling around them and falling chairs and they're put through a pretty um pretty strict evaluation before they're allowed into the schools. But if somebody's got a dog and they think they might like to do this, um we're always looking for people. Okay, Q. Well, that's wonderful. It's so great to know that somebody's helping these children live safely with their pets. Thanks a lot for joining us today. You're very welcome. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. We've got Jill from Salamander Bay, and her dog's got sore legs. Hi, Jill. How are you going? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I've got a golden retriever, and uh, it's like, you know, the knuckles or the our elbows. On the front legs, uh, have sores. Yep. And I think it's from lying on the bricks. Mm. And, um, you know, she keeps licking them. And I've tried putting um, ointment on them, but anything I put on, she licks, licks off. Licks it off, yeah. 
And you, we often see those on the elbows. So did you say it's also lower down on a leg, on the no, wrist? No, like the elbow. Just on the elbow? Yeah, on both legs, yeah. And is it on the outside or on the back of the elbow? On the outside. Okay. Um, because we often distinguish between those, and you're right, we very often do see abrasions and um, pressure uh, sores that they get. Um, so a couple of things I would normally say, it's often worthwhile, particularly with some dogs, that there may be an underlying medical condition, say arthritis and things like that. Yeah, she's got arthritis. Yeah, that can sometimes make a an effect because what's happening is that there's less muscle mass higher on the leg, so the elbow's bearing more of the weight when she's lying down. All right, yes. So sometimes treating that arthritis with different medications and maybe therapy, massage and so on can actually help the muscle mass build up and that takes a bit of the pressure off the elbow. She's on medication. Oh, great. For the arthritis? Okay, yeah. excellent. The other thing I always talk to people about is to have a um, like a hammock bed, you know, that they climb up onto that's off the ground. So if you've got to cut one or two of those so that she's spending less time directly on the bricks uh, or the concrete. Yeah, actually, I've got one. Right. Uh, but she doesn't get on it much. <laughs> My I dog. think she's on the bricks because yes. they're cool. Yeah, that's right. And I try and keep her off the bricks, but I can't all the time. Sometimes if you um, get some, uh, you can get some cooling um, uh, blankets Oh, can you? Uh, yeah, and if you lay that on the bed, she might hop on the bed. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. I'd get that at a pet shop, would I? Yeah, um, have a look around. You might have to search online. I haven't seen them, but I have been told about them for dogs. Um, okay. Yeah, they are used for people as well. Like you can get these jackets that you put in the freezer and they cool and then people put oh. them on if you have certain medical conditions. Yeah, actually, I think I saw something like that in a catalogue recently. Yeah, I'm sure if you have a look around, you might find something. The idea is that you want to get her up onto that um, trampoline bed so that she's not putting direct weight when mm. she's lying. Look, you're not always going to be able to stop it. Now, if there are open wounds, I think, like you said, you've tried some ointments and that helps um, the wound. But if she keeps licking it off, the there are a few things you can try there. There are some sprays that you can use that are quite bitter so she doesn't lick it. or. Um, occasionally I've used um, Tabasco sauce. Oh. Yeah. Now, some dogs like chili, so, um, but some of them go, oh, I'm not going to touch that. So you could try uh, a couple of those things, but I'd certainly the trampoline bed's going to be the most yeah. helpful for you. Yeah. And Tabasco is healing, is it? Sorry, what's that? It's Tabasco healing. No, no, just to stop her licking at it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. But interestingly, that um, the agent in Chile, the capsaicin, um, has uh, some role in preventing pain transmission. So oh. it can actually block nerve signals as well. But we're, we're not putting it there for that reason. We're just putting no. it there to um, so that she doesn't lick at it. Lick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. No worries. Thank you for being uh, my first caller for the year. So oh, we'll, really? Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year. Thank you very much, Jill. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks very much, Jill. I always find cayenne pepper works as well. For yourself, so you don't lick oh, your yeah. elbows? Yep, exactly. I've never been able to lick my elbow. It's, yeah, it's very hard It's to impossible, do. isn't it? It's, it's even harder to do with this cayenne pepper at the end of it as well. <laughs> yeah. See, it works straight away. <laughs> We've got Colleen from the Central Coast, and her dog's got some problems with urinating in the same spots. Hi, Colleen. 
Hi, how are you? Good. How can we help? Um, I've got a six-year-old poodle, mm-hmm. and he has a tendency to pee on the corner of our lounge <clears throat> and onto the carpet. Mm. Um, I've been treating it. I treated it uh, with splashing uh, it with water and then putting bicarb on to neutralise it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've put down eucalyptus oil um, and also uh, essential lemon oils as well. Is there anything else you can suggest? It's not that he doesn't have the opportunity to go outside. He's got a doggy door. Mm. Um, but he just he just decides he's just going to do it. And, um, you know, he, he, we've smacked him. Uh, we've tried to be patient. We've, you know, sent him out to go to the toilet, all sorts of things. And then every now and again, he'll just do it. And it's just really frustrating. Mm. So a couple of things. Has this a recent problem or, I mean, you've done a yeah. lot of different things, so it's been going on for a while. Yeah, we've tried a lot of different things. He was dissexed when he was about 10 months old and probably we, we should have had it done earlier, um, but we, we didn't. So I don't know whether this is part of him scenting and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yes, yeah, so any suggestions, I'd be most grateful. So how, how long has he been doing it for? Uh, always. Always. If it's not once, oh. it's, been, it's been somewhere else. Some, you know, we had mm. we had a, a rug in the um, the dining room that we ended up having to pull up. You know, we took it out, we washed it. Yeah, huge thing. And yeah, put it back down. It was going great, and then suddenly started peeing again. And it was like, oh, yeah. So it kind of falls under that umbrella of inappropriate urination. And most of the time when we're talking about the problem, we're talking about a cat. But occasionally we get this sort of scenario with dogs. Um, yep. And I think you've, you've certainly gone down the right path in a lot of ways. Um, the Sometimes we think it's a manifestation of, well, it's just a habit. You know, once they start, that's just how they, they keep hap- you know going back to the same place. Um and if that's the case, then it's really just training and training and training. Um, doing the, the kind of um, environmental cues that you've done to, to neutralize the odor and to make sure you dilute it and um, using the other kind of um, sprays and things that you've put around uh, to try and change the odor. So if it was related to habit, I would expect that um, having done all of that, you would see a change. The other thing might be anxiety related. Some some dogs will behave in this way due to anxiety. Um, and I'm tending to think it's probably a combination of habit and anxiety. Um, yeah. Is he a, what sort of poodle? A standard or toy or? He's a toy. Toy, a okay. Toy. Well, they occasionally, I mean, they, they can be fairly high strung, those little dogs as well. So... I'm just wondering how much anxiety is playing a role. And obviously then his release is, if I go and pee here, I'll just feel better and it's kind of reassuring and so on. Um, There's a product that um, you can uh, get called DAP, D-A-P, and it's a um, dog-appeasing pheromone. So it actually helps to calm dogs down and uh, you can get it as a spray or you get it as a plug-in diffuser and it actually just gives the room a pheromone from dogs that's calming. So it's different to using the oils and things like that. And um, you might find if you're going to use the DAP that you actually have to take all those other things away. Otherwise, yeah. it just it just won't come through. Now, it's not you, you can't smell it. Um, it's yeah. only something dogs can smell. But um, it does actually have a calming effect. And like we use it in our hospital and it works really well with a lot of dogs that are very nervy. 
Uh, They come in and we can have that in the room and it just seems to calm them down. That's kind of like the entry level to treating anxiety because you really need to get a diagnosis of is there a specific trigger and therefore is there behavioural therapy that would be useful. And of course there are some other medications that can be used um, to treat anxiety that help the behavioural therapy to establish new habits. So the first step I would say is Get some of the DAP, um, and I think you can get it from vets or uh, pet stores, I think. But um, And I would probably give that a good six to eight weeks. Okay. Um, But I think you'll have to take away the other oils and things like that. You won't be able to, otherwise there's too much, too many different scents. Okay. Right, all right. Still still do all the things you do, like walking outside frequently, you know, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, after every meal, that sort of thing. Plenty of opportunity, as you said, um, and maybe, uh, you know, water bowls outside instead of inside so much could also help. Um, well, I've done that. They're all outside. Oh, well, there you go. Good. Excellent. Um, and then try the DAP. And if you're not getting anywhere with that after a month or so, I'd certainly say, look, you need to see a beh- behavioral vet who can prescribe medication and a behavioral therapy plan. Right. So it's a bit okay. of a big step, but I'd certainly start with the DAP. Okay, mm. lovely. All right. Well, thank you very much. Good luck. Thanks, Colleen. Thank you, Bye. Bye. Gee, thanks, Colleen. We've got Ray now from Mayfield, and he's actually got a suggestion for cooling dogs down. G'day, Ray. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Yes, yes, this is one we've tried. I've got a 13-year-old Labrador, and we found out that um, we bought ourselves this cooling pillow. It's yep. kind of like, like a very large ice pack you put in the freezer, and then or in the fridge, depending on how hot it is, and then you sleep on it in your head. Well, we bought one for the dog, and it's worked quite well. But the thing is, we take it out of the freezer, leave it out for about an hour or so, and then it's right for him for the night. Uh, we usually, but we make sure we don't take it straight out of the freezer and give it to him. Leave it yep. out for a, for a bit, and that will do it. And also, um, we also got small caged animals as well, and it, this is in a similar vein. It's putting ice bricks or ice bottles in the bottom of the cage, so when it's hot, the animals or birds come close to it as well, mm, we'll sit mm. close to it as well. That's another little clue we picked up, picked up from a guinea pig breeder. Yeah, yeah, those little small mammals and so on, they really don't cope yep. with the heat very well, as you've found out, so there's some good yep. ideas. Um, yep. And we're look, we're heading into a scorcher uh, this weekend, Friday, Saturday, yep. Sunday at least, and um, so that's some good advice for people to look at ways of keeping their pet cool and if you've got your own ice pillow it sounds like you have to give it up and give it to your dog <laughs> yes that's right actually you can get these or you can either get the little there's like the the micro ice bricks type thing yep. you get them from the supermarket you can get them and you know use them the same way they're, they're smaller version but i've got a labrador and she's got a golden retriever so she would need large one i think or a couple of lots of small ones yep. and like that but um yeah that's recommend because it's great because they really but when they when it when it seeks working, they just push it away and the thing. But when they sleep on it, they rather enjoy it. And so that's inside the pillow that you put those. Well, you can aspects. you can put it on the pillow whatever, wherever the the animals sleep, wherever the dog's sleeping. Because yep. mine's got his own little mattress because of his age with a bit of arthritis, and he enjoys this little. It's a cot mattress. Yep. It's big enough for him to turn around and sit down on. So he's got his own little bed, shall we say. Yeah. Um, um, which makes him feel a lot comfortable, and he sits there. And we had the fan on him just about all the time because uh, older dogs just don't cop 
cope well with the heat. And the fact it's hot 24 hours, it's, um, yeah. you know, from the cycle. Because they like the nighttime when it's cooler. Yeah, and, I've, um, I, I've found I found when I die, I'm coming back as raised dog. Yeah. So that's <laughs> they've got the Taj Mahal. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. He's rather spoiled, but um, rather good security system. Good on you. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for the call. Much. Bye. Bye. Thank you, then. Bye. Jeez, thanks very much. All right, Bill. You mentioned that earlier in the show about things to do with pets. Yes, the hot look, um, we've we've. Just heard, you know, mentioned about the weather. Gosh, it's going to be hot um, if it hasn't already. Uh, so there's a couple of things to mention, and we talk about this kind of seasonally, obviously, around this time of year and the end of last year. Um, one thing is that it, it uh, when you have these high ambient temperatures or humidity, yep. uh, that's when pets really suffer. But the heat stress that we see in our dogs and cats is what's going on in their body temperature. So the normal body temperature for a dog, say, is 38 to 39. There's different references. Um, and we usually don't see any problems if their body temperature doesn't really rise above 40 at any stage. Um, and in some cases, though, I've seen dogs that have come in with really bad heat stress and that have had temperatures 42 degrees. Now, to be honest, our thermometers stop at 42 Okay. So oh. when it says higher than 42, um, it's pretty hard for the dog to survive. This can be a fatal condition. So one of the things that we often talk about is like looking at your dog's body conformation. So the dogs and cats, for instance, with the pushed-in phase. So for the cats, it might be the Himalayans and um, uh, that are going to have, and Burmans, for instance, that have had the pushed-in phase for dogs, like your bulldogs and your pugs and cavies. But we also see it in, you know, Almost every breed, um, particularly when it's so hot, we will see uh, heat stress in. I've seen cattle dogs and I've seen poodles and rottweilers, all the same. They can all yep. get get affected. Oftentimes these dogs may have been exercised. I do remember seeing a dog was a golden uh, was a golden retriever and, and they were being walked at 6.30pm. Um, but there was so much heat during the day that had built up in the dogs that when they started to exercise, there was two of them, one was fine, the other one wasn't. Yep. So what happens is that they're just not able to get rid of the heat out of their system. And so dogs don't sweat like we do. So if you go for a walk or a run and you start to sweat, straight away I know that my dog's going to have trouble yep. because he's not able to get rid of the heat. So the way they they do sweat through their paw, uh, on their paws, but that's not enough. But they pant. And so they are actually got more blood flow going into their tissue in their throat and they're panting a lot to try and um, get rid of the heat, but it's such a small area that uh, it's just not going to keep up if their body temperature is going up and up and up and up and up. So even after they stop exercising, their body temperature could continue to rise. Um, and in those circumstances, people say, well, what might I do? I would say, you know, um, we would just spray them with water, just hose them down. That will allow them to cool down. Now, if they're actually going to show different signs and the areas that are affected, the first thing is the gut. So the reason for that is if you think um, what happens is the heat changes the proteins in the body. And I always say to people, think of an egg. Right? If you cracked an egg onto yep. the road, <laughs> what happens to it? It'll cook. Yep. And when it cooks, the proteins <laughs> change shape and they actually bind together and colour. So if you think of the body's made up of proteins, like in the blood, in the uh, liver, in the muscle, 
if they suddenly start to change shape and they bind together, everything starts to fall apart. So we can see dogs get gut problems, they get um, airway problems, they get lung problems, brain problems, um, and blood problems where their blood starts to clot. And uh, so it often takes intensive treatment to pull them through. So recognize the signs that if you're sweating, your dog's going to have trouble. Hose them down. Don't let them exercise anymore. Um, and if you have a breed that is susceptible, and most people would know if their dog is susceptible to the heat, then limit their exercise. Give them plenty of cooling uh, opportunities and shade and fresh water. And as Ray said, a few ice bricks in their pillows. Uh, <laughs> set them up in front of the telly with the air conditioning. Um, pour them a cold drink and... Uh, Hopefully you'll get through this weekend without any problems. I don't think many people will be exercising this weekend. I hope I'd, not. I'd, you'd, be mad. you'd be surprised. I've seen people running dogs on a 35-degree day. Um, and the funny thing is, like saying about the temperature too, is that I've seen dogs come in with heat stress and their temperature's 34. Yep. They're the worst ones. Okay, mm. Because what's happened is that their brain has been damaged that much that the thermostat in the brain, in the part of the brain called the hypothalamus, has been damaged, that it cannot control it. And so they come in and their temperature's 34, and we say to the people, they've got heat stress. And they're like, what are you talking about, his mm. temperatures? You know, yeah. um, I had a dog once who was tied up in a backyard, and his rope had got caught, and he hadn't been able to get into the shade and had been lying there all day. By the time they brought him to us, his temperature was like 34 degrees, yeah. and he didn't make it. The other thing, too, to consider, a lot of people put their dogs on the back of their ute when they're going to the beach or something else, and they just don't think about how hot that metal Ooh, can that get. That tray would be, yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. I've seen some quite yeah, bad I've seen scorching. Paw, uh, yeah. Where their paws just slough off. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, these, hopefully, we, you know, it's only just a few days and we'll get through it, but just look after your pets in this hot weather. Absolutely. Time for our Pets of the Week, and Cheryl, we've got a Kelpie this week. We have. It's a little female. She's seven years old, and her name is Mary. She's a female Kelpie cross. Um, she's been in foster care with two other dogs and two small children, and she gets along with them very well. She came into care after her elderly owner passed away. She is shy around new people, but she's gaining more confidence and trust every day. She certainly looks alert. She's quite cute. Mary enjoys her daily walks and walks well on the lead. She also enjoys being a lounge lizard. Oh, that's a nice one in this hot weather. Yeah. Uh, for more information, you can contact Lauren or you can go on to the um, Dog Rescue website and have a look. So it's www.dogrescuenewcastle.com.au. Fees do apply or you can log on and have a look at our pet chat website. Yep. Very good, guys. Well, we're almost up for the second episode of the year, I should say. I know. It's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Yep. Um, we, you know, uh, when we find out about animals that are getting rehomed and everything, we yep. had a fantastic story last week at work. We had a, um, a dog came in. Actually, he was found at the university. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, we scanned him and he had a microchip and we rang the owners and the details were up to date. And I'm so happy when that happens. So... Make sure anybody out there, your pet's got microchips, check their details are up to date. That's the most common problem we see. Anyway, the owners came in and this dog, Oscar, had been missing for three years. Three years? Three years and he's been reunited. So he went missing in Merriweather and he was found at the university. And <laughs> we shared this story. Someone made that. I'm sorry, I can't... I'm assuming the owner's got another pet in between. They did, and they had a baby in between as well. Oh. So a lot of changes in the household. Oh, 
Oscar's no longer top yeah. of the totem pole. <laughs> but someone made a comment, and I'm, I should give credit, but it's uh, they said if he spent three years at the university, he may have a degree. So <laughs> Oscar's, uh, Oscar's been labelled a PhD. <laughs> or he still might be waiting for his honours or something. Going uh, for he's a... coming back. Yeah. Yeah, so no, no. He's back Doing in his master's? He's no. back in his ha- house, living on the lounge, and it's such a, a great story. I'm so happy to read it. And yeah. um, it's just a reminder to people that if your pets are wandering and we do know that in uh, summer and daylight saving period we do see more pets that actually wander there might be thunderstorms there might be fireworks they're the kind of things that trigger people stay out longer and the pets are at home so dogs do uh, often take off in those circumstances please check your microchip details are up to date Um, and if if your pet's not microchipped then make sure they get get that done and that way we'll be able to reunite the pets with their owners as quickly as possible. Hopefully, not three years. See? Oh, yeah, that's I know. It's that's fantastic. amazing. I would, I would like to know what happened in that three years. Though. Oh, if only Oscar could talk <laughs> or, or write even. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great story. So yeah, it's very good great on story. them. So, if anything else you guys like to add before we get strolling out the door? Um, well, the other thing that uh, a lot of people uh, have been talking to us about is um, apart from keeping them cool uh, you know during the hot weather is keeping an eye out for snakes uh, ah yes now I always go into the end the Christmas break talking about a little bit about snakes mm-hmm. but also it's uh, kind of like September October November is tick season so people say well what about ticks look they're still around but because it's so hot the tick is a soft-bodied tick and they actually dehydrate in this hot weather so we do see a dr- this hot weather will really kill off a lot of the ticks that are still out there. But yep. there are pockets, you know, if you get into a, a gully and a bushy gully and your pet goes for a run, there are going to be areas of uh, ticks out there. Um, snakes we are still seeing a lot. We've got a clinic up at Maitland as well, and we do see brown and red-bellied black snakes um, quite a bit. And the interesting thing is there's a study in Melbourne that's mapping all over Australia that snake bites in dogs. And they've, okay. they've found the incidence of snake bites is highest. It's like 90% of them occur within 500 metres of a watercourse. Oh. So a creek or a, a, a you know river or whatever. Within 90% of snake bites occur within 500 metres. So you've got a one kilometre zone. Um, so keep an eye out if you're near water, I think oh, is right the yeah. message there. And even spiders are in the increase as well. My, my next door neighbour found a large amount of redbacks. In his backyard. Well, they're not so dangerous to dogs, so that's oh, the, okay. that's the good news. That's the good thing. Yes, I, I even heard it. At, so I think it was Adamstown. Someone dug up his backyard and had a whole nest of them, of redbacks or funnel funnel webs. I'd be really uh, worried about. It was redbacks, yeah, yeah, redbacks under his grass in his lawn. Well, the good thing is that they're, they're nasty bite, but um, nobody's been in real trouble with a redback for a long time. Thank oh, goodness. Thank goodness. Yes. yes. Well, guys, thank you very much. Thanks, thank Greg. You. I'll catch you two next time. All right. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.